relationships, pursuing the best in work and life and love. Right there, you have relationships right now. Okay, so for those of us who are not Douglas Adams fans and think that the meaning of life is 42, <laughs> it goes to a small group. We're going to talk about the unifying theory of life. Yes, we are. Man, we are really approaching something big. Well, then, would you pray for us? <laughs> Actually, it is very important, and it is very big. Uh, Lord, we do thank you so much that in your word, all things work together. And in your word, you have given us the clues and the keys to life. I ask that we are paying attention to your word, listening, and making certain that we're doing what we're hearing in your precious name. Amen. You're ready to go for this unifying theory of life. Let's approach this in a slightly different way than I normally teach it. Let's go to Revelation 2 and read what God was upset about with the first church, and then we can extrapolate that to the other churches. So if you would, just read about half of what God was saying to the church at Ephesus. Uh, Right here in my New King James, Revelations 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. We can stop right there. In that passage, you have the combination of two big items that are very important. And I want to work with those two items through this particular radio show and see what we can do with those two items. While it's not stated in the first part of that letter to the church at Ephesus, you can talk about the idea of truth. The church of Ephesus is this idea of working with truth but they are not using love. So let's use those two terms. And you can think about those two terms with all of the churches. What you could do at some point, and once you see what we're going to be talking about today, you could probably take each one of the churches and rank them. How much truth were they using? How much love were they using? And that's what I would like you to consider. So the church of Ephesus, let's just do this on just the church of Ephesus. If you rated them on the truth scale, one to 10, where would you rate them, Paul? Pretty strong. Yeah, I'd probably be pretty strong, probably in that eight, nine and 10 category, more than likely, because it says you're not putting up with evil and you're you're testing the apostles and you're saying that ain't the way it works. So they're into truth. But we already know how would we rate their love? Zero. It It, says you've lost your first love. You've lost your first love. It doesn't mean that it's absolutely gone, but uh, from the viewpoint of not being used at all. So I would rate them low, at least probably below five. So you can do that with each one of the churches. 
you're, you're talking about as if I could name all seven churches. I just well, bless let, God let me, that I know there are the seven churches talked about in Revelation. Yeah, I couldn't do that either if I didn't have it in my notes here. <laughs> if that. you're with us, make it easy on yeah. yourself. Relax. No one's expecting you to name them if you can, you know. Yeah. Good for you. You get an extra scoop of ice cream tonight. But, Herman, here, here the seven churches. There you go. So we have the what's called the Loveless Church, which is the church at Ephesus. The Persecuted, which is the church at Smyrna. The Compromising, which is the church at Pergamos. The Corrupt, the church at Thyatira. The Dead, that's the church at Sardis. Faithful, church at Philadelphia. Lukewarm, the church at Laodicea. So you have those seven churches, and you can go down and rate each one of them on this scale of truth and love and rate them independently, one through 10 for truth and one through 10 for love. You don't need those to add up. Do that after we finish. You don't need to do it right now, but I just want you to have those seven churches because this is going to be something interesting as you approach that rating once you hear some of the other things that we're going to talk about here. So here's the part that I would ask any one of you. Why just truth and love. I mean, it seems like there's plenty of other things that we could be thinking about, faith and hope and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness, humility and meekness. I mean, there's all sorts of additional things, right? So why do you think I'm just talking about truth and love? I don't know, because I'm going to say, if I think about the eight steps of transformation, I would apply those to each of the churches and grade them there. The end of the eight steps to transformation of Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 is what? Love. All of these words are wonderful. The issue is, I want us to explore the idea of truth and love as God's Word talks about it, because I think those two words represent something that is the concept of separateness and belongingness, or the idea of powerful and relational. You can use those terms. But in order for us to look at this, let's just go to some scriptures and start reading some scriptures and see if we can see this idea of separate and belonging or the concept of truth and love show up in those particular scriptures. For instance, go to Exodus 34, 6 and 7, and read those verses for us, and let's see if we can see anything about separate and belonging in them. Okay, just so happens, Exodus 34, 6 through 7, And the Lord God passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. If you had to look just for things like separate or powerful, in other words, excluding anything that's relational, what would be some of the things that you would pick out? It's just separate. It's just powerful. It's just truth, in other words. What would you pick out? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. That's yeah, that's powerful. that's powerful. I mean, that's, that's, that's not saying, hey, let's just get along. No, I'm going to do something to you. This is powerful. What else do you see there? The Lord God. Yeah, it says specifically it, up there abounding in goodness and truth. 
That's very interesting. Now, what do you see on the belonging side? Well, I'm going to go right back to where you were. I'll take the goodness part. That's right. The truth to the the separate and powerful. Mm -hmm. Keeping mercy for thousands. Yes. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Long-suffering. You go back up there, gracious, merciful up in the first part. There's both of the concepts in in these verses, both the concept of separate and belonging. In fact, it says it most easily, goodness and truth. You know, goodness could be considered on the powerful side, but it's, it's a little bit more relational from the viewpoint of uh, people being good to another person. So we see that in that verse. So let's just go on to another in Psalm 62, 11 and 12. Right? Psalm 62, 11 through 12. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Okay, that's easy. Oh, that's an easy Sorry, one. it's just there. Uh, <laughs> verse 12, right? Uh Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. That's pretty easy too, right? Well, that could go both ways. Mercy is definitely relational, but you render to each one according to his work. That's powerful. That's power. That's exactly right. That would be power belongs to God and each according to his work. You know, that's going to be a power concept too. That certainly easily works. Render according to his work has a relational component, but it's power being put onto that relational relational component. So you see it right there in, in two verses back to back. How about the next one? Well, we're going to have to do that right after the break because I really like this game. Great quotes from God's Word for great relationships. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Philippians 2, 3. Great relationships, pursuing the best in work, in life, in love. Right thinking, right relationships, right now. You know how you're always praying for a sign from God, that you're meant to go to seminary? This is your sign. Seriously, I'm here to tell you about Grace, Grace School of Theology. It's free grace based. The professors are world class. It's accredited, accessible, attainable, and oh yes, it's affordable. You can even complete your entire degree online, which means you don't have to move. Wouldn't it be great to have a deeper knowledge of the Word of God? Write this down, www.gsot.edu, gsot.edu, or call 877-476-8674, 877-476-8674. Now get going. back listening to great relationships pursuing the best in work in life and love herman i thank you for this game it's pretty cool i get to go into the bible and i'm actually feeling kind of good when i started out 
looking kind of crummy. <laughs> yeah, what we're trying to do is look for separate and belonging in each one of these passages that ties back the idea of truth and love that we're trying to figure out how to rate each one of the seven churches in Revelation, right? I'm on a roll. Next. That's right. Next. So let's go for Isaiah 57, 15, one of the best and coolest verses about this concept. Read it to us. Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Instead of asking you to guess on this one, this particular verse is so cool because you can take it and divide it right in half. When you divide it right in half, you can see that the first part of the verse is all about separate. It's all about power. I dwell in a high and lofty uh, uh, place. High and lofty one inhabits eternity whose name is holy, which means separate, right? And then it goes directly into the relational with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So you can see it right there in one verse very clearly separated into that term separate and belonging. Let's try another verse, Micah 6, 8, one of those verses that everybody would be best to memorize. And if you're a student of great leaders, it's a theme verse. <laughs> In great relationships, too. Yes, yeah. sir. Great relationships. Excuse me. So uh, Micah 6, 8, read that to us. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Isn't this interesting? Again, we see he has shown you, O man, that's a relational concept, what is good. It's a power concept. What does the Lord require of you? Power to do justly. Power or separateness to love mercy, belonging, and to walk humbly with your God. Belonging. Now, I'm not trying to set you up with all these verses. These are some of the really cool verses that have this. But one of the things that you can do is test this, and I'll give you a way to test it in a little bit. But before we get there, let's look at another one, Ephesians 4.15. Okay, on Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head. Christ. So speaking what? The truth. That is a separate concept. That is a power concept in love. God marries the two right there in that simple little statement. There is a separateness or a power concept with a relational concept. When I speak the truth, I am not to do it just from power. Hey, this is the way it is. This is you are doing wrong. You're supposed to have a a relational component with it at the same time. So speak the truth in love. There is power and belongingness. Try one more, 2 Timothy 1.7. Okay, 2 Timothy 1.7. Uh, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. That's a fairly obvious one. God is specifically talking about there is power and love that he has asked us to have. Try John 1, 1 and 2, and then verse 14, and see how that fits into this. All right, John 1, 1 and 2, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Power or belonging? Both. It actually is both from the viewpoint of the relationship 
of the Godhead, but it is all about power because that is God separate from us. And then verse two, he was in the beginning with God. That is more on the powerful side also, but it is a relational term of talking about their relationship together. Now go to verse 14. What does verse 14 say to us? When I look at John 1 and 2, how much that's like the Isaiah 57. It is, isn't it? Yeah. God is here, but yet He's with us. Yeah, and you'll see that right here when you combine John 1, 1 and 2 with verse 14. You'll see exactly that same thing. What does verse 14 say then? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. <laughs> so I walked into that. Yeah, no kidding. It's so interesting. I challenge you to try this. In a recent teaching on this, I just stopped after giving multiple verses for people to read and choose between what's separate and what's belonging here. And then I stopped and simply said, okay, everybody shut your Bible and now open it to any random passage and just read some scriptures. Just open your Bible and see what it falls open and then just pick a passage that your eye falls on and and read it and see if in the context at least, this combination of separate and belonging actually shows up. It will amaze you. Try it and see if you don't start seeing those two things that show up in a common phraseology in God's Word. Why is it that we see this so often? Why do we see truth and love, justice and mercy, grace and truth, separate and belonging, powerful and relational? Why do you think we see all of that? Because it's God. Exactly. It's the image of God. And God is revealing his image through those two terms to us. He says it about himself in the verses that we just got through talking about. And he is saying that very thing is what he's wanting to show up in us. He's wanting this idea of truth and love, separate and belonging to show up in us. Now, that is a great thing for us to go and now look at as it relates to us, this concept of the image of God. If we take the image of God and look at the various verses that use image of God, you have about, in my my research, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight verses that actually use or imply the concept of the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Genesis 9, 6, Romans 8, 29, 1 Corinthians 11, 7, 1 Corinthians 15, 49, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, 2 Corinthians 4.4 and Colossians 1.15. Now, you can look at those verses, but here's the issue for you to consider. There's only one set of verses that give you more information rather than just talking about the image of God, and that's Genesis 1.26 and 27. Now, why is that important to me? To me, it's important because there is a rule of scriptural interpretation called the rule of first cause. That means the first time something is mentioned, more than likely, that's the motif or the way that God intends for it to be used from that point on. And Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is the first time that God's image is used. And here's Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. And in that particular case, man can be used 
for mankind and him and them can be used for mankind also. So here's the question that we're left with that we can try to attack a little bit in the third block because we're not going to have enough time to finish it now. Here's the question. Is the image of God somehow the same as maleness and femaleness? Now, how did we get here? Well, there's a concept of separate and and powerful or separate and belonging uh, or powerful and relational. We'll unwrap that a little bit as we get into the last block here. But that's the question I want you to struggle with. Is the image of God somehow the same as maleness and females? And I'm not trying to say that God is male and female. I'm not trying to say that at all. Please don't misunderstand that. But it does say we were created in his image. In his he image, that's right. male and female. Right. So is God telling us that his image is best described and reflected in the distinct attributes of males and females? There's the question you want to wrestle with. You're listening to Great Relationships, Pursuing the Best in Work and Life and Love, our website. GR numeral 8 relationships.com. That's greatrelationships.com. We'll be back right after this. Great quotes for great relationships. That woman was taken from man no more implies the inferiority of woman to man than the taking of man from the ground implies the inferiority of man to the ground. Nor does the term helper connote subordination. Dr. Eugene Merrill. Great relationships, pursuing the best in work, in life, in love. Right thinking, right relationships, right now. Relationships can be great, and not just marriages or romantic relationships, all relationships. The Bible offers the same solution to what is essentially the same problem. What is the problem and what is the solution? Study along with us to find out. Great Relationships is a video course offering biblically-based insight on relationships. In each video, watch Herman tame tough issues by discussing them in a casual online learning environment. Each of Great Relationships' 12 chapters are subdivided into quick segments you can squeeze into a coffee break. So if you've had time to listen to this promotion, you have the time to sign up and start today. Visit our website at greatrelationships.com. That's G-R-numeral-8-relationships.com to sign up for our free newsletter. Pursuing the best in work, in life, in love. Right thinking, right relationships, right now. back listening to great relationships pursuing the best in work in life and love and sometimes tough questions herman before the break you left us with genesis 1:27 that says so god created man in his own image the image of god he created him male and female he created them so obviously god's man and woman <laughs> that's what some people try to say that we're saying but we're not saying that we're simply saying we're asking a different question we're saying is there something about god that is reflected in maleness and femaleness if you had to describe what maleness looks like and what femaleness looks like what would you describe in those two adjective sets of words or better yet what we're going to talk about is testosterone and estrogen you know what do those hormones typically describe if you put adjectives to them but before we get there let's look at this particular verse to see the possible logic of what I am asking the question on is the image of God somehow reflected 
in maleness and femaleness, because here's the possible logic. You can take that verse and use the the two phrases and create what would be parallel statements. The first parallel statement would be in the image of God. And then the last part of that statement would be he created him or mankind. The second statement would be male and female. He created them mankind. So you could put those two phrases uh Top and bottom, image of God, he created him, mankind. Male and female on the bottom, he created them, mankind. And if you look at it from that, that, mind, that, that way, you could see that male and female could be interchangeable with image of God because he created mankind, he created mankind. The same phrase is used after each one of them. So the logic could be, if the phrases are parallel statements, then the image of God may be interchangeable to read this way. In the image of God, he created mankind. In the image of God, male and female, he created mankind. So that would be a possible way that you could think about this. So I'm not saying that's exactly the way it is. You're going to have to struggle with this. But I do believe there is some great additional evidence that we can look at. We were just talking about it. If you take the, the adjectives from the words that, use, that we could use to describe the concept of uh, being a male and the words that are typically used to describe being more female, you can see on the male side, you would typically see words like aggressive, risk-taking, assertive, rough, powerful, doing, leader, uh, interest, uh, outside the home, career-oriented, hard touch, etc. And you could do the same thing on uh, the female side, cautious, risk-averse, responsive. Now, if you take those two sets of uh, adjectives, you can summarize the male list with separate and powerful. And you can summarize the female list with belonging and relational. Now, if you want to see all of this, go to chapter two in Great Relationships and see the videos on this and, and look at the Image of God videos. So what we are left with then is we're trying to answer this question, is somehow the image of God reflected in maleness and femaleness? And if we go back to the beginning, is it somehow reflected in this concept of truth and love, separate and belonging, powerful and relational? That's what we're trying to ask. Now, there is a theological term that is used for this, transcendent and imminent. Transcendent means high, very different, very, very different from us, above all. Imminent means with us. And those are some terms that uh, theology talks about. Well, it's the same thing, separate and powerful or belonging and relational. Those, those are the two terms that are being talked about here. I'll take it a step further. You can take all of God's attributes and you can line them up under these categories. For instance, where would you put holy? Well, you'd put it under the powerful side, right? Righteous, powerful side. Justice, judging, powerful side. Omnipotent, powerful side. Sovereign, powerful. Truth, powerful. Omniscient, powerful. Wisdom, powerful. Self-existent, infinite, eternal, independent, immutable, all are powerful. 
Then you can take compassionate, saving, loving, relationship, uh, merciful, gracious, kind, gentle, uh, omnipresent, and put them on the belonging side. Some could go under either one of the categories, but you can see it right there in his attributes that you can line them up under those two different categories. So let's end it with this. The unifying theory that I will propose is that the image of God is best represented by talking about him as being separate and belonging, or that he is powerful and relational, because you can see those terms show up in his word constantly. And that is something that we can extrapolate and start seeing, and we can do it next time to start seeing how those two terms are applicable to all of life. Business is you're either doing it focused only on the results or you're figuring out how to be getting results and relating to your clients in, a, in the best possible way. Okay. Relationships, the same type of thing. So all of this is what I'd classify to be the unifying theory of life. Well, now I understand why you were starting with truth and love. Mm-hmm. So all of this, you can go dig in a little bit deeper until next time. That's going to be chapter two of the Great Relationships material, which is on our website, greatrelationships.com. That's grnumeratelationships.com. Now, you may have reservations of what you were heard because you said, wait a minute, I'm like this. Well, that has to do with more with development than design. And next time we'll talk about it. But if you can't wait till next time, again, the website, it's all right there at greatrelationships.com, grnumeratelationships.com. Until next time. How's your day going, Barbara? I can't even begin to tell you how terrific my life is right now. What a coincidence. My life is just overflowing with blessings, too. Why, just yesterday, I found a $100 bill on the ground. That's great. I saved a cat that was stuck in a tree, and the owner was so thankful that she gave me a gift card to my favorite restaurant, Luigi's. Wow, I was in Luigi's just the other day and saved a man that was choking with the Heimlich Maneuver. He was so overjoyed that he gave me tickets to that new play that's been sold out for weeks. That's amazing. I've been wanting to see that play myself. Really? I asked my husband and he didn't want to go. Will you go with me? That would be great. Have you ever had days like this? (laughs) Neither have we. That's why we recommend great relationships. Join Herman as he offers you the opportunity to pursue the best for others. Kindly, patiently, sacrificially, and unconditionally. Right thinking, right relationships, right now.